Real people, real stories and real challenges that break the status quo. I'm your host, Jivila, and welcome to Perception Paradise. Welcome to another episode of Perception Paradox, where we explore the stories that challenge the status quo and reshape our perspectives. And today we're joined by Theo Zatterstrom, a remarkable guest who transitioned from a corporate career to self-employment and advocates for ADHD and neurodiversity awareness. I crossed paths with Theo on LinkedIn, I think some time ago, where we connected for a conversation to explore how we could support each other. Maybe there are some skills we can share. Maybe we can help each other. And we were both uh, embarking on new journeys in our lives. And we were pretty open for a conversation. And now we are here. And Theo's journey is a testament to the power of embracing one's unique qualities for overcoming fear and failure and really chasing the dreams, I would say. So get ready for an inspiring conversation that will undoubtedly will broaden your horizons. So, hi, Thea. Welcome to Perception Paradox. Hi, and thank you. Damn, that was some, uh, that was some kind words. I love it. <laughs> You're a kind person, kind, kind words for kind people. Uh, great to have you. How are you feeling today? Yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm feeling great. I've had uh, uh, one workout today, and uh, yeah, it's actually sunny in mid uh, October here in Sweden. So that feels awesome. So yeah, I'm feeling good. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. I'm right now in Barcelona. So it's also sunny. And I was just waking up today, having my rituals, preparation and work. Let's dive in into the kind of first question that might set for us the direction of our uh, journey for today. And um, I just wanted to ask you, Theo, can you look back a bit and think of a moment uh, from your life when you discovered that being yourself, fully embracing your unique qualities uh, was the key to unlocking your potential? I wouldn't say it was one specific unique situation, but it was definitely uh, during COVID, I was 29 and our company had like, welcome to my crib. And uh, during this, we did remotely showed like how we lived and, you know, those kind of things. And in the comment sections, people were writing like Theo speaks faster than I think and stuff like that. And I was thinking, damn, I'm, I'm here on a low day where I feel kind of not that energized and stuff. And people still see me as an alien. So that's, that's when, when I was like, maybe I should ask a psychiatrist though like someone that knows about ADHD, what that is. Uh, I took a call with some online psychiatrist that I just asked questions and she, then she started asking me questions. And that's when I kind of understood that I've been, I mean, living in a society that is built for uh, everyone else's brain, if I can say so, mm -hmm. uh, compared to my own, where a lot of people think about life as a marathon and that kind of don't work for me. I think about that I live in short sprints. So okay. that I think that was a turning point when I was 29, 30. And I realized that I've been trying to live on everyone else's play, uh, like the play, like rules and so forth. And I kind of started to discovering like a second puberty on how I should live my life and, and 
do changes towards it that maybe everyone else doesn't. So I would say that everything from like 29 up until still figuring out, but trying to find new things that works for me, if that kind of was the answer to your mm-hmm. question. Yeah, that's that's a quite a great start, I think. And it's very interesting that you mentioned that it happened in 2020, which is quite a recent situation. And uh, you were uh, involved in your career, your life was set, setting down a bit, perhaps. How did this idea of you potentially having KDHD came to your mind to the first place? Was it something you were hearing from before in your life or you were just trying to find the kind of some answers? No, for sure. I've heard it several times. You probably has a letter combination. I've always gotten gotten that thrown in my face. Uh, it was uh, one person close to me, a child that I was looking at that I thought that the, the adults around were not really being able to stimulate uh, the child. And we were always giving the, the, the child a bad bad time where we were mm. like failing as, as, as adults, I would say. So in that sense, and then when so many things added up, I was like, maybe I should start looking at this uh, just to find answers. Because obviously there's a struggle here that I've always, I kind of not in the same way that, that uh, this child was going through it, but kind of the same way, not as, as much. Uh, and that kind of got me, there might be something here that I don't know of. Um, and then going through in Sweden, it's this big, rigorous investigation process to go through with so many different doctors and psychiatrists and, you know, you name it. But I got mm-hmm. to learn so much on how other people have had hacks and tricks and ways of working, which uh, have helped me so far. So it was somewhere there, like in the midst of like, I've always struggled in a company and people have always seen me as as different in everywhere they go. And then also seeing this child having struggle. So the, this combined got me to like explore it a bit more. And I'm really, really thankful for it because that has been a key for me to building kind of the life that I want. Mm. Uh, How did you feel when you got the confirmation? Okay. Clearly, you have ADHD. Yeah, it's uh, it's still a very big like gray zone for me because in Sweden, it's we have a we have a public healthcare and we still have private. So uh, I'm too functional in Sweden to get the diagnose ADHD. Mm. You really need to have crashed or lost jobs or or so forth. Like really had it bad. I've I've been deep in in. I mean, in uh, in different kinds of addictions and so forth, but it hasn't burned enough to actually get the diagnosed. Or when I came there and we went through this one year process, one and a half years, like at the end, they were like, we can help you with, uh, like you can get help from a psychiatrist and, and, and things like that. So I, uh, for me, I don't have it on, the, on paper. Uh, however, if I would go to a private place here in Sweden, I would get the diagnosis. And, uh, but now when I've been very open with this, uh, this is a big issue in Sweden. Our healthcare has some challenges when it comes to, to this. And when I'm doing my podcast with Elin uh, mm-hmm. about ADHD in Swedish, though, uh, there's a lot of people that have struggled a lot and still don't get help 
by the public. So they have like resonated a lot with my story. Uh, so I'm very open and transparent with it. If I would go to the public, I don't feel the need right now. I would still get certain kinds of medications as ADHD people would get and psychiatrists that are specialized with ADHD. So they're basically saying you have ADHD, but you're functioning too well in society. So you're not there, you're not getting the diagnosis. Mm. Um, that's quite interesting also when we speak about this diagnosis, right? Uh, sometimes what I've noticed uh, lately in the society that kind of we are seeking for some categories to put our problems into, either ADHD or some mental disease, instead of really tackling uh, the root cause or finding the tools how we can cope and solve uh, these kind of situations and adjust our lifestyles. And a lot of times I've noticed that people tend to put uh, themselves or we as human beings into a victim or vulnerable position that, oh, right now I'm in this situation and I'm a victim. From your communication external, what I really admired, um, I've noticed that you often spoken about the myths of ADHD uh, superpower and challenging the different perspectives. Can you share a bit more about your insights? Of course. And, and thank you for that compliment. It warms my heart to hear it because <laughs> I, I think that... Uh, we, there are more prejudices about ADHD out there than it's actually like people having the knowledge about it. And the things with when people are saying it's a superpower and so forth, I, I just think it's unrealistic. The thing is, is that if you look at ADHD as a, as a whole, you have, I don't know how many times higher risk of uh, of alcoholism, of drug abuse, of risky sex, uh, dying from suicide. Uh, there are so many things, like the average ADHD person lives 14 years shorter than a neurotypical person. And a lot of this is because there isn't enough knowledge for these people on how to work with their brain. Because it's basically, how I usually say it is that m when I wake up in the morning, my eyes are just fine. And my friends that had like glasses their whole lives are always jealous and saying like, how can you just wake up and your eyes are working? That's awesome, you know? And when I went through the ADHD like investigation and got to understand how my brain works, I realized that like my friends, they wake up to a society that's built more or less around their brain, while I wake up to a society that's not at all built uh towards my brain my brain is wired in different things obviously this society that we live with with you know social media and all of these things is not necessarily healthy for for anyone uh, but mm -hmm. it's so much harder for a lot of people with adhd because a lot of times people don't understand what adhd is but uh, our brain has five different dopamine receptors i think it's five uh, mm -hmm. So don't quote me on this one. And on one of these, there is a mutation on. And that mutation makes the dopamine receptor not being able to regulate dopamine. And dopamine is the oh. thing that, you know, that motivates us, makes us feel happy and so forth. So uh, I usually try to paint the mental picture of like, let's say that you have zero to 100% dopamine. And during the day, the dopamine will go up and like up and down like this. Mm -hmm. And for a never typical person, that dopamine levels might be 35 to 65 up and down in between like this. And maybe you need to clean your room, you might need 40. So sometimes when you're down at like 35, you don't 
have enough motivation to actually clean your room, but you eat a banana or you go for a walk, or whatever, and the dopamine is back and you can do it. At ADHD brain, they're more down at eight, nine, 12 dopamine mm-hmm. levels. And then when something interesting happens that they really find enjoyable doing, that spikes up to 95 and they can well, sit and work with this. Yeah. And they can sit and do that. And then it's like a big drop down again. So when you're doing things that you like, it's very easy to be motivated and do it. And that's when people are like, oh, it's a superpower because they can only see when they're focused and doing something fine. But then realizing to clean your room for a never typical going from 35 to 40, it's not that big of a jump. But for someone that has eight in dopamine to jump up to 35, that's a whole another mountain to climb. So, oh. so that's kind of how I try to like paint the picture for, for people to kind of understand what it is to to have ADHD. And then once again, ADHD is different for every single person, but that's like a pretty decent picture, I would say. Or did that uh, did that help you understand a bit more? Or It does help uh, to have a good under- better understanding and comparison. And uh, that those jobs, they happen every day, or it really depends. It can be a longer uh, spike period of really having high dopamine. Let's say you're working on an interesting project, and can you have a very, very uh, long uh, runway of that dopamine, and then you have a bigger crash, or how does that work? For me, it's all about making everything into a structure. I've been an elite swimmer back in the day. I have a few national goals in swimming and so forth. Oh, wow. So I've, I've always been working out a lot. And my ADHD symptoms, when that really crashed was when I stopped swimming and I started working full time when I was 25. And what I realized now is that when I need to focus so strict on the food that I eat and the amount of, you know, instead of chasing dopamine, trying to chase endorphins, like working out and stuff. I work out around 90 minutes a day. So I usually try to do two times 45 minutes each day. And because I don't, I'm not diagnosed ADHD uh, in this mm-hmm. kind of sense, so I don't get that medication that a lot of people have that stimulates the dopamine. So for me, the only, the only way to stay consistent is to have a rigorous system and really doing it every, every day. If I have like one off day, this is also pretty annoying to the people that I live with and, and, and have a relationship with because I'm so strict with things. If I'm not strict, it's so easy for me to just crush and crash and burn and don't get anything done. Um, so for me to stay long-term with dopamine, it's really like two practice a day, eating home-cooked food, it's all about understanding what I need because it might hit me harder to deviate from my structure than it would a never typical person. How do you deal uh, when you're down and the drop of energy? And because kind of if I would like just to give this insight, I feel like now since you're aware and with age, we become more conscious and aware of the environments. How did that change with your drops before? You knew what's happening with your brains and how do you tackle it right now? I think that it's been easier for me to exclude things in my life. Obviously, it's a, it's a maturing thing as well, where I, I stopped drinking alcohol, for instance, because for someone that has difficulty producing and regulate dopamine, 
alcohol spikes your dopamine and serotonin a lot, which means that the day after the hangover is going to be so much harder because if you already have problem producing dopamine and regulating it, a hangover is not going to help any any more or any less. Like it's going to be awful. So I quit alcohol a year and a half ago, and that has been a big change for me. Uh, it has helped me. I'm still out hanging out but drinking alcoholic free and it's still making sure that i get up in the morning and doing my like workouts before Mm -hmm. i start the day and so forth but but then also it has given me so much more self-love uh because understanding that some things is very difficult for me to do and it doesn't matter how much i try it it's it's not worth my time with the energy that it, it cost me uh, of doing certain things. And I did a post recently where I have divided the things that I don't want to do into three things. Like the first option is the things that I hate with all my heart. And I will not even try to do those things. Accounting, even though I studied accounting, I will not do accounting for my company. The things that I hate with a big part of my heart those are the things that are usually body doubling. Body doubling is something it's called where you just have someone next to you, which means that you probably get motivated or you feel a more of a sense of responsibility externally, which helps mm-hmm. me. So cleaning my room, for instance, like uh, cleaning the, the, the apartment when my girlfriend is around, it helps me. She doesn't need to clean. She should just be here. And that helps me to get going with things. Oh. Yeah. And the same with Eileen, the one that I had the ADHD podcast with when we have things that we need to do that we don't like, we just sit in the Zoom meeting and we do in silence and we do it together. And then the third one, the things that I hate with a little bit of my heart, uh, I call it precovery. So instead of recovery, it's precovery. Mm. I need some downtime. It's not procrastination, but it's it's a downtime when I just lay in bed and I most of the time just stare in the ceiling and just like I'm gonna get I'm gonna start doing this I'm gonna start doing this like soon soon sometimes it takes five minutes or sometimes it takes 55 minutes but if I pre-cover the things the thing will get done but if I don't do that and I try that thing I will like I start but then I will start doing something else and I will procrastinate for 43 days or something like that you know so just getting to know myself and find similar people have helped me a lot uh, with where I'm at today compared to where I was three years ago. I think it's very valuable to learn more um, about how life changes when you understand that um, you might have ADHD or someone in your environment might have because we kind of tend to act and behave the same way and it takes time for us to open up and create room for people who has just different thinking flow and it doesn't matter uh, does that person doesn't have to have ADHD but I think these kind of conversations what you're sharing really opens up our mind about the human connection and understanding so talking about that I would like to learn more about Theo's life and uh, philosophy, you know, lately and nowadays, especially after the COVID times, many people are kind of striving for the sense of purpose in our lives. Our priorities are shifting. Uh, We're kind of reconsidering our actions and the places we live, the things we do. How do you define your purpose today? What really drives you? What makes you wake up every morning? Oh, great question. Uh, when I find it, I'll I'll let you know. Okay. But <laughs> uh, but but I do like uh, that you say drive because 
I just got to hear like the difference between drive and ambition and drive is something that's internal. Ambition is more external and ego. Uh And I never, and I really, I've always thought of myself that I've had a lot of drive and not a lot of ambition, but what I do, like what I'm building is obviously one thing is the ADHD community, which is very early. Uh, But the other thing is that I coach sales managers and CEOs within the tech and and scale-up scene. Uh, And I coach them on increasing their sales, building repetitive processes and so forth. Uh, But a lot of times it's self-improvement. And I I really enjoy the conversations where, where, you know, you... You're not in the conversation to be liked. You're in the conversation because both people want to improve. That is one of the most fun things that I that I know to have discuss like discussions and both when when I get challenged, but also obviously in my role I have to challenge a lot and uh, challenge the perspective of the person or my clients and so forth. And I really enjoy those conversations where. It's both a, a psychological safe space and it's also a, a vulnerable space where mm-hmm. you're open and it's not a lot of ego. And I think yeah. that that's, that's probably my drive. I, I really enjoy those conversations and I'm just looking on how can I have more of those basically. That's so interesting. And it also touched based about this like vulnerable safe spaces, right? And it kind of brings me now, rings a bell about us as human beings uh, facing the fear and failure. And fear of failure is like something really many people um, grapple with. And sometimes that fear is so big that we're really afraid to make any change. And sometimes we consciously choose to stay in the situation we are because of how big is the fear. Maybe you could take us back to some kind of moment in your life when fear of failing was at its peak. And I'm really curious to learn how did you navigate it and what did you learn from that experience? Yeah, great question. Knowing myself, if I just like fly in one direction and don't come back, please let me know, just so you know. Of course, of Uh, course. Yeah, yeah. But how, like, fear of failure, the thing is, it's like, maybe this is a bit philosophical, but that's also like, what what the hell is a failure? A lot of times when I've been a sales manager and I help other sales managers, we have always set up like a fuck up Friday or a fail Friday to discuss those things within the team a lot more. And in when I was a swimmer, like I wasn't the best in the world, but I was a decent swimmer. And especially like Sweden is a pretty small country. People know of each other. So within the swim space, swimming space, I, I was someone. I wasn't the best or anything like that, but I was someone. And I think that it was a really tough spot for me to leave that and go into sales or go into the working space where I'm didn't know anyone, didn't understand anything else. Like, because most of the time that I've ever, all my free time has gone to practicing and training. Mm-hmm. So leaving that was a, was a really tough, you know, identity shift for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that within that first years within sales, where, where I started with, I thought that selling a lot and um, being someone 
that people respected whatever was something to look up to. I think that that was a drive out of like fear of failure where now I kind of have understood that, yeah, I get motivated by the width. Like I want to take away as much pain as possible. But in, in order, the best way for me to doing so is to be a very fun like fun orientated person so i need to make sure that i'm having fun with the things that i do so a lot of times what i'm trying to do is to have fun with the things that i do and if it fails it fails if it doesn't it doesn't and i but i don't bother the result that much the result is not what i'm there for i'm more trying to find the behavior of what i'm trying to do more of was it always the same way? Because I recall like one, I think of our previous conversations, right? Right now you're making a big leap in your career. You kind of got out there actively in public, helping the sales team to become better teams. You're self-independent and you were doing some kind of changes before in your career as well. So was it always that kind of approach and mindset? Well, if I fail, I fail. Or d- did you have some kind of concerns about such big changes because it is a big change in your work yeah, life. for sure so with the first swimming and and the first sales job i i mean most of the things that i've done in life has come very easy for me and i've been really good at it mm-hmm. then with with the first sales job i was a good salesperson but a lot of times my life wasn't the best and i thought that that might have been i mean i thought that i was a big failure from time to time and i think that that's also has been tied into my understanding that i've had adhd which have made me not been i've been trying to do things that i shouldn't be trying to do so okay. i mean and and before this podcast i talked to my friend Ellen, the one that i had the pod with and when we started a lot of times i mean we had like 30 episodes that we never released because she didn't think they were good enough and we have discussed this a lot where i don't really care if it's good or not i just want to push it out to mm-hmm. see the reaction i should not be the, the the decision maker if this is good or not if i'm trying to sell something i try to sell it and then i'll see how people respond to it if i try to keep building things to make sure that it's within my standards I would just keep building and building and building. So I think that after understanding the, you know, the journey that I've had the last the last years, I've been focusing so much more on like having fun and then trying one of the things out and like, did it work? Did it not work? And then realizing, okay, if it didn't work, it's a progress. I'll understand. Mm-hmm. But did it work? Awesome. Then I can probably sell this sell this a bit more. Pretty um, cool. I kind of I like your approach, like uh, it's about having fun and the way I see life, it's life is a game. And um, but I also learned actually that even though life is a game, we have to embrace the harmony, right? Because there is always the good. If you have the good, you will have the bad. If you have the bad, you will have the good. And it's always a balanced game. So how do you embrace it? And how do you kind of consciously be uh, you are aware of a situation that just makes life so easier that yeah, and, and to add to that, I saw a quote, a quote somewhere. I don't remember who said it. It's the a lot of times I've had great ups and I've had great downs, uh, and 
I've always been trying, when can I find a balance and why can't I be more like stable and so forth. And it was a quote that said, like, if you, if you're not having the, the ups and downs, you're flatlining. It means that you're dead. Mm -hmm. So I, mm. I love that quote. Uh, embrace the roller coaster. That yeah. It's much more fun than like yeah. trying to tie yourself into it, you know? When yeah. I started embracing that, that really became way more fun, actually. Talking about adventures, you are doing quite a lot of stuff also besides, let's say, this professional career. And one of them is this adventure game and that you are running with your brother, if I'm correct. Yeah. And uh, I think that that provides kind of a unique perspe perspective for you as well, running the kind of race. And then I'm curious to learn how the lessons from uh, managing the adventure races that you've been doing for quite a few years influence your approach towards leadership and navigating the challenges in your work life yeah of course so it's uh, it's a uh, it's called a swim run and it's a sport that started around 15 yeah. 16 years ago and we were the second race that started and we have had this most 2000 participants but it's nothing that i make money off but mm -hmm. what my brother and i have realized is that we get people that might live in the city and we get them out in nature and after they've been having this great two hour in nature, running, swimming, running, swimming, uh, they tend to be more locally focused in their vacation plans forward and so forth. So it's been super fun to build that. Uh, one thing that's like, we have had all kinds of injuries and problems and so forth. Okay. We have had, okay. yeah. But what, did, what did it teach you? What, mm. does it, what did you learn from running this Yeah, race? and that's that's the thing. Like, our goal is that everyone should take the, uh, make themselves through the whole course without too many injuries. And mm -hmm. having gone through those kind of incidents when you need to, you know, make sure that everyone is fine, uh, crisis mode and, and so forth. Then when you're trying to sell a sauce product and people are stressed, it's easy to be like, yeah, but no one's going to die. Like for real. Yeah. It's, okay, great. <laughs> it's a product, you know? Okay. And I think that that has been probably the biggest lesson. So I remember when, uh, when I was interviewing earlier on in my career for sales positions and sales management positions and the recruiters and the sales manager would be asking about stressful situations and I would bring these ones up. And it was so much far-fetched for them. They couldn't even mm -hmm. relate. And I think that that has taught me a lot about, you know, keeping your head yeah. cool uh, in crisis. And a lot of times a crisis is never really a crisis. Why are you doing this still? It's been many years, right? It's still the same race, small community, you're not making any money. Why? Yeah, I mean, we're still like the... the we're still being able to uh, make money, but we don't take it out any in salary. Mm -hmm. So our, our, our focus is to make sure that people get out in nature and give them a great experience. A lot of times. Amazing. Yeah. For this sport, it's the, like, I think Sweden is the biggest market within this sport because we have yeah. such, like so many islands and so forth. So Ongelopet, uh, where we, our race is usually the first race that everyone does. Uh, it's the the first race that maybe get them to explore something else or they realize that they didn't like it. So uh, doing it, it's all about just, as I said before, getting people out in nature that mm -hmm. might just be live, living in, you know, the the stone jungle that most of us live in. And it's, uh, I mean, it's fun. I mean, it's tiring, 
it's a yeah. lot of work and it's long hours and I mean, we, my brother and I could not have done it without our families and relatives. They help out so much. We're very lucky to have help from them. But we really want to give people something to, you know, look forward to end the summer and then have a memory that they can be like, oh, shit, I did this, you know. And a lot of people think it's awesome to look at a map afterwards. They've done this race and see like, oh, damn, I did this. It was 25 swims and I swam with my damn running shoes on so it's an ex yeah giving like an experience i think I that's the, the main reason what a great mission i'll see if i can make it next year i would love to join it's a kind of short trip to sweden and the swedish nature yeah. is incredible i really really um, admire your mission and why you're doing this it's it's beautiful and talking Thank about you. yeah talking about you being such a versatile a person doing a lot of outdoor sports business you shifted your career from working for someone to working for yourself what would you say to someone who right who is right now in this consider consideration that would like to make a change would like to maybe shift from corporate to entrepreneurship but are too afraid to do the first step great uh, great question I would say like what is what is one small step that you can do right now towards the thing that you want to do so basically is it to call someone and ask you know you might might know a friend of a friend that has a startup that you could ask like hey could I I have this talent could I do this for free that was what I did in the beginning okay. during covid we went down to work 80% instead of 100 so and I kept doing that afterwards so during that time I started doing free things for other companies just in uh, in uh, payments they would be my references and so forth so is that one small step that you can do and not focus on the perfectionist that a lot of people focus on that I need to become this before I can do it. Just try to start with a smaller thing that you can do. Just lend a help, like helping hand to a startup somewhere or whatever and ask them for two things. Make sure to use the advice that I give you and be a reference next time. Mm. Uh, yeah. That's a very good advice, actually. As a follow-up, I would like uh, to ask how you do some certain things, because one of, the thing, one of the things that are stopping us, of course, sometimes, it's perfectionism, and also that we are kind of get stuck in our fixed mindset, right? So we really need to activate that growth mindset where we are open to experiment, to fail, to try things, and instead of thinking what others might think and to get this external validation, we have enough courage to try how do you continue to cultivate that growth mindset in your own daily life? Because it's a process, right? It's not one-time thing. Yeah. And I think that I'm, I might be stepping on some toes here. I don't know, but okay. I think it's, it's the balance between having a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. Mm. A lot of times when I started, it was a growth mindset of, okay, what are the things that I can help other people with? 
and start doing those as a small gesture. I started with uh, being a photographer and videographer for some companies. I did sales trainings for some people. I did LinkedIn training for LinkedIn sales training for some people. I had LinkedIn courses for people that were applying for work during 2021. So I had like every Sunday, I met up with five people that were without a job and helped them search and look for jobs and mm -hmm. strategize. So like that's us like when you take the first step i think that growth mindset is the best key to be there where you're like okay where where should i start and try different things because you probably don't know what you want to do or oh, yeah. what what people what your market value is with within the different things um then when you have started those things and got going i would also start to ask like if this would have been someone else what would you have paid them to have done this thing? And I'm not saying that you should pay now, but just give me a reasonable thing that you can, so I can market it next time and then start taking, taking cash for, for your services or whatever you might need. And then a lot of times my struggle has been that I've just kept experimenting and I've been like adding on new, newer and newer things because I've, I don't know if, if it's called growth mindset, but it's kind of what I think it is where mm -hmm. I, now kind of more need to adapt more of a fixed mindset of being this is the thing that i should do and i should do it over and over and over mm -hmm. again so my struggle right now is to be because i mean i get a lot of inbounds at linkedin because i'm i'm a, i mean I, i'm not an influencer or anything like that but i have around like 1.3 million views and i i get a fair bit of inbounds each week mm -hmm. and and a lot of times before i just jumped on all of them which made it difficult to me to kind of focus on one thing so now i disqualify a lot of the the inbounds that i do and focus much more on the things where where i should be uh, mm. if i can say it so so i think the balance between growth mindsets and fixed mindset is very interesting and difficult to really uh to really to really master very good point actually you mentioned that you have quite a lot of LinkedIn views and LinkedIn has become a very powerful uh, social media tool. Um, how long have you been growing your audience and what would be your, like this one maybe advice for everyone who maybe is just starting out with their communication on LinkedIn? Yeah, I mean, I've been, my first inbound lead was in 2016, so I started pretty early. However, my, my focus has never been to grow an audience which mm -hmm. I sometimes regret, but it also paints a picture more of everyone can get something useful. I think I have like 7,000 connections. I wouldn't even say followers because I'm connected with most of, most yeah. of them, you know? Uh, <clears throat> but how I started was that I, I was a salesperson, became a manager or I, became, I got to like six people that I had to manage. And, and I asked like, my budget didn't decrease. And I asked my manager like, yo, how is this equation? And she said, like, put more hours into it. And I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that <laughs> fucking thing. So, so I was like, let's, let's try out LinkedIn. And after three, four, five months, my, my idea was that every time a customer, a potential customer goes in on their LinkedIn, they're going to they're gonna see my name. So like a free email automation, basically. And after just three, four, five months, every third, every fourth, every, like, every second after a while, a uh, person that I met up brought up my LinkedIn work. So I was like, right. this is something is going on here. So if I would start with, if if you're completely new to the 
if you have the platform, you've been on it, and you're fairly like a digital person, but you haven't started creating or anything, what I would start out with is basically um, is basically get a friend that want to start with LinkedIn as well and start body doubling where you you know mm-hmm. meet up and you take you book in every morning whenever it suits you both of you in the in the calendar and you take 15 to 30 minutes where you meet up with a cup of coffee or tea and you're supposed to be proactive during that time and focus on adding valuable people that might be your potential customers or whatever your your goal is um comment on two to three people's posts and then take the last 10 minutes to start writing a post if it doesn't work if you're not finished with a post that's fine the next day come back and r- continue writing and it's the those small steps that uh, will bring you to greatness within six to nine months i would say cool Pretty practical yeah. and also yeah. consistency. And that's a toughest part for me, for example, because I'm just doing it for fun usually. Anyway, yeah. we're getting I would say, to... uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Go I just want to add the thing with LinkedIn is that LinkedIn is not a painkiller. It's the vitamin. So, okay. you know, the vitamins that you need to take every single day. I, that's how I see LinkedIn as well. Oh, it's not going to be, yeah, it's not the thing that's going to save you for anything, but it might help you in the future. Cool. That's amazing. Thank you, Theo. So we're getting closer to this wrap up and final question. And uh, perhaps you already are aware that I've kind of created this uh, small interaction, interactive closing. Often I always want uh, the guests to ask a question for the audience and uh, just to kind of leave them with some food for thought and some kind of reflection. So what question would you like to share with our audience? to dive into today as they continue their journey of perception and self-discovery. Yeah, uh, and uh, uh, thank you for having me, first of all. It's been a pleasure. And uh, yeah, and I, I, would, I, I think I would do the same question that I asked before. What is, what's, what is one small step that you can do today that brings you closer to your whatever goal you might have is it to reach out to a startup that you can help out with or is it like whatever it might be like what can you do today that's what i think you should be thinking of thank you theo it's been a pleasure exploring your journey and thank you for such an honest and open conversation um, about your life and philosophy and how you do things it's been great and i guess final question where people can follow your journey what would be your go to social media channels yeah uh, it's uh, it's my linkedin so theo satistrom i have a annoying swedish last name but uh yeah okay. so theo satistrom uh you I might be sounds awesome and uh thank you so much for having me it's been a blast i'm looking forward to listening to more episodes that you'll have so yeah thank you amazing thank you so much and thank you everyone who was t- who were tuning in today for the episode Uh, Make sure that you answer the question in the Spotify comment section. And just so you know, your time and support means the world to me. And thank you for listening and have a fantastic day whenever you are.